and you get tattoos in your Cracker Jacks. It's really neat. It, it, it's, it's been exciting. You're like, yes! And that's what Psalms 120-134 is. It's a songbook within a songbook. Psalms is the songbook of the Jewish people, but yet the Psalms of Ascent is a special songbook. It's a songbook for pilgrims. What do they sing Thanksgiving songs? You know, where's, where, where, where's Pocahontas? Or what is it? Not, no, Sacagawea? I forgot which, which Indian showed up. It's not that pilgrims. There's no turkey here, guys. No dressing. It's pilgrims, people who are traveling through. You see, the Jewish people, every Every year had three feasts that they could go up to Jerusalem. God told them, hey, on one of these three feasts, every year, annually, go up to Jerusalem and make this feast in the city of Jerusalem or Shiloh, especially getting to the temple or the tabernacle, wherever the presence of God was, go up and go there and do that feast there. Now, the three feasts were, number one, Passover, after that, there was a um, re, re, Passover, of course, is remembering the time when the death angel passed over the, the uh, children of Israel. And then you have Shavuot, which is 50 days afterwards, called the Festival of Weeks. And Shavuot is special because there you, uh, it, it's to remember the giving of God's law. Now, we also know what happened on that day is when uh, the Jewish people got the law, and we got the law too, but the Holy Spirit came. The law and the spirit given on the same holiday. And that's Shavuot, or we call it Pentecost. And then the next and third final pilgrim feast that you would go up to is the Feast of Tabernacle, or Booths. I had to really pronounce that because one time I said it fast, and it, was, it came out the Feast of Booze. And everybody's like, Booze? It's like, oh, sign me up. You know, no, uh, it's not that type of uh, festival, excuse me. It's Booths, okay? It's hard to be a man with a speech impediment. But that's what, and so the Feast of Tabernacle, or booths, uh, um, in the Hebrew, it's Sukkot. I don't want to, it's it just Sukkot, and I like saying that word. And it's, a, it's a feast one week long where they go camping in their backyards in a little rinky-dink uh, four-walled tent, and they go camping, and they put palm branches and willow branches and myrtle branches on top as a roof, and they go look through and they remember their time in the wilderness. And it's a great feast. So pick one. What do you want to do? And all over Israel, people would pilgrim or travel up to Jerusalem. Now, you never, if you were in the north, you never went down to Jerusalem. Nay, nay, never. You never went down to Jerusalem. It was elevated. It's the same elevation as kind of like Big Bear. And so you would go up. To Jerusalem. No matter where you were, you would go up. And in the Bible, it always states that. Go up to Jerusalem, up to Jerusalem. And so, it's a really neat thing. Now, you're like, well, what's this songbook within a songbook? That is Psalms 120 through 134 are the songs they would sing on the way up to Jerusalem. And they would bust out these songs. And really, when you look at it, it sounds like a journal entry. When I was a kid, I loved to write. I, I, I loved journals. I actually, I think I like buying a book with nothing in it. It just looks cool. It looks like you're knowledgeable, which I'm not. 
And it's like, oh, look at this. You know, oh, that's so, so nice. And I would buy these journals, and I would write in them on vacation. Now, I didn't know how to write much. I was like, it was a good day. Happiness. You know, I, and I would write that. Like, what, what were you thinking, Andrew? Andrew, young Andrew, what are you thinking, you know? But here, we actually have a really good journal entry. Psalms 120 through 134 is a songbook in a, in a songbook, and you can sing them as songs. I mean, each one of them had a tune. We, we don't know the tune, though. But yet, they're kind of like journal entries of a pilgrim going up to Jerusalem. Him writing his point of view on, on all that's going on. And so that's what we're going to read today. The first, we're just going to tackle the first two because they're so yummy. They're so good. So let's check it out. In Psalms 120, it says, the psalmist says, or the pilgrim says, in my distress, I cried to the Lord, and he heard me. Now you're like, that doesn't really sound, distress? Man, why don't you start off on a positive note? You know, well, it, it is positive because he heard me, but he, he starts off at a low point. In my distress, I cried to the Lord. That word distress, that word distress in the Hebrew means a tightness. Have you ever been in a tight spot before, guys, where you feel like everything around you, the whole world is squeezing you together, and you feel like, am I going to make it in my distress? And notice this, it's my distress, not your distress, not his or her distress, it's moi's. It is mine. There's nothing worse than personal tightness, personal stress. And when you have that personal distress, and he goes, I'm in it. I'm in my personal distress. Have you, have you ever been there before? I have. But that is the perfect position when you're in, in personal distress is a perfect place to cry out to God. It's at that moment in time that we have a perfect, a perfect position to scream out to God and say, help. In my distress, I cry unto the Lord. It's the perfect place for that to happen. You know what? Usually we cry out when we're in it. But what if we mastered the art of crying out before it? Or, you know, we, we usually, or, or how about afterwards? We usually forget afterwards, don't we? It's like, oh, I'm out of it. Woo! I'm glad that's over. Praise the Lord. Let's go play some Monopoly, you know? And let's get out of here, you know? Let's go do something. But yet, we usually cry in it. We forget about it afterwards. And we sure don't do it before we go into it. But what if we cried out to the Lord afterwards? Or before we got there? I'll tell you, that would change the perspective of how we see life in the trial or in the distress. So in my distress, I cried to the Lord, and he heard me. We're going to come back to the heard part in a little bit, okay? That's, that's a gem. We don't want to lose it. Just tuck it away, and we're going to come back to it, okay? So what did he cry, though? What did he cry out, and what was his distress? I'm a nosy person. I don't know about you guys, but when, when someone says, oh, there's something going on, I'm like, well, what is it? What's going on? You know, it's just like, can, can, 
I, I'm just nosy like that, you know? When someone is, I, I love at a restaurant when someone is talking a little too loud in the booth next to you, I'm like, you know, I'm eating my, my nachos while listening to the people over there. I'm like, what are they saying? What are they saying? You know, and, it's, and, and they're like, Pastor Andrew, that's not too God. I know. I'm sorry. I'm a failed human. But man, it's fun. And I'm nosy. I love when someone leaves their phone open and unlocked. And I get, to, oh, let's look at their text messages. And I'm just you I did that with the teens at my church. I used to be the high school youth pastor, but before my father went home to be with the Lord, and I, I would grab their phones, and if it was unlocked, oh, I would have a great time. Finding all about them. Oh, really? And I would write back. I would act like them. I was like, it's like you know, who's Shanice? Okay, Shanice. Shanice, I don't like your face. Oh. <gasps> And then they would write back, what did you say? I was like, oh, you heard me, girl. You know, and everyone's like, oh. I would start ruckuses. And I was like, no, this is her pastor. I'm just messing with her phone. Do you know Jesus? Just joking. Uh, but, and we would do that. But I love that. What did he cry about? I'll tell you, it bothers me when I see people crying in public. What's going on? What, what's going on with you? What, what has driven you to tears to this point? What did he cry? What was his distress? We're going to find out in verse 2. And he says, deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. Oh, his cry is for deliverance. He wants to be delivered. That word in the Hebrew means to be snatched away. Get me out of here. Deliver me. I like that. You know why? Because the same word in the Greek is harpazo, which means to be snatched away violently. And do you know what that is in the Latin? Rapture. Deliver me, O Lord. Rapture me out of this place. I like that. Here is a pilgrim who is facing distress and he's crying out for rapture, deliverance, to be snatched away. We're kind of like in this weird little time in our church history and in our church and and, and not just Calvary Chapels but mainline Christianity where prophecy is like, oh, well, we don't want to talk about that. Let's go help the homeless and not talk about prophecy anymore. You know, well, how about we do both, okay? Let's talk about prophecy and let's go feed the homeless. Let's go build houses and not talk about end times. How about we do both? I'll tell you, the rapture is awesome. And here's a pilgrim, a person on his journey to the house of God. And what is he thinking about? Rapture. I love that. If you're not praying for rapture, shame on you. I'm praying for it. Well, what about all the lost people? Don't we want to have more time for them? Man, I'm down with that. That's why we need to get involved in evangelism. Let's go do that. Let's get, let's get the word out. Let's see how many people we can get saved before the time. But man, pray for it. What a great day that's going to be. What a great day that's going to be. Are you excited about that day? I mean, have you really considered? I mean... That day of rapture. And he says, deliver me, rapture me out, snatch me away. From what? What does he want deliverance from? Verse 2, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. Wow. 
people are saying things about our pilgrim. People are talking smack about the pilgrim. And he's saying some things. I'll tell you, there's nothing worse when people start talking about you. Uh, I think there's this one famous English guy, which I forgot his name. That tells you how smart I am. And he says, he says, I never worry when people talk about me. I only worry when they stop talking about me. <laughs> well, that's cool. But, man, I'll tell you, it all depends on what they're saying. You know, I hate, don't you hate when people talk about you? And here our pilgrim is, is experiencing that. He's experiencing when people are talking about him. Now, some people have thick skin and say, I don't care. Talk away. Post it on Facebook. I don't care. And that's fine, I hear you. But I'll tell you, you know, there are a, there's a pair of lying lips and a deceitful tongue out there that are saying some things about you right now. Who? Tell me who they are. Where are they at? Where are they at? Well, it's the enemy. It's Satan. Satan is saying those things about you. And guess who he's talking to? To the Lord. The Bible says that the enemy stands night and day before the throne room of God and brings accusations against the saints, against us. Isn't that joyful? Doesn't that make you feel good? You know, if we hear constantly the, the phrase, which is a great phrase, God, has, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Amen. But on the other hand, there, there's somebody out there that hates you and wants you dead and has a horrible plan for your life, and that's Satan. And he stands every day and brings up your failures, your failures as a Christian to the ears of God. What a narc. What a snitch. Because you know what is the horrible thing? He's the dude that made you do it. He's the dude that pushed you in temptation, set up your flesh, set up the world around you, set up the situation. Boom, and you fell, and you're like, oh, he's the guy who goes, come on, man, come on, baby, just do it, just do it, baby. And then you do it, and then you go, I can't believe you did that. Holy mackerel, wait till your mother finds out. Wait till your friends, wait till this goes online. Oh, and he's the one that pushed you to do it. It's your flesh and all that stuff. And he's there with his lying lips and his deceitful tongue, and he is spouting off your failures into the, into the ears of God. Thank God, though, thank God we have an advocate, the Bible says. A lawyer. That's what advocate means. And it's the person, Jesus Christ, who comes in and says, oh, well, it's true. But, Father, he's yours. She or she has been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, endowed and, and filled with the Holy Spirit, the guarantee. How great is that? Satan is saying things also to us. He whispers in our ears all the time, lies, deceitful things, like you're so great. You're so wonderful. And we believe our own press. I am. No, no, Jesus said I am. You're not. Always remember that. You know, Jesus says, I am, I am, I am, which is a really big thing in my own life. Because Jesus said, I am, that means I am not. And that's a solid, that's a solid Bible lesson, man. 
Satan is saying things to us. The lies of Satan about you, about your family, friends, about God. Remember in the garden, has God really said that you will die? Did he really say that? Always bringing doubts. I'll tell you, I want to be delivered from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. Well, no one's talking smack about me. No one says anything bad about me. No one would dare say anything about me. Oh, but Satan does. See, his mouth is always running against you, against God, against into your ears and other people's ears, even to the ears of God. And that's who he is. So he's asking for deliverance from the mouth of lying lips and deceitful tongue. And, and then I love this. He offers God advice. Verse 3, what, and now he's not offering uh, God advice, but he's going to offer advice on what should be done to the deceitful tongue and lying lips. He goes, what shall be given to you, or what shall be done to you, you false tongue, sharp arrows of a warrior, with coals of a broom tree? Like, well, what does that mean? <laughs> okay, let's translate that into modern times, okay? Uh, let's look what it says. He offers advice. What should be done to you? Remember, this is really a prayer, a declaration to God. So he's offering advice to God about what should be done to his lying lips. He's this evil tongue. He says, sharp arrows of a warrior, shall I stab it to death? Shall I stab it to death? Oh, yes. You know, if you stab something, that shows tremendous hatred towards that individual or thing. They, they teach you that in criminology class, that there's a, per, there's a level of personality, of one-on-oneness when there's a stabbing. There's a tremendous amount of hate to get that blade through that thick layer of skin. Oh, it's horrible. And so he says, he hates it so much, he says, shall I stab it? <laughs> Let's do it. Sharp arrows. Or he goes, even better, coals from a broom tree. A broom tree is a special type of wood that burns very intensely. Let's burn it. Let's burn this sucker, man. Let's burn these lips. Let's take these this, those tongues that speak against me and go, yeah! and burn it. You can, you can taste the hate in this guy's voice towards this mouth that's running off against him. That's how... And you just got to think, though. He, he, he doesn't say, if it was me, what shall be done unto you wicked mouth? Shall I hit you? That, that's, that's my style. Let me just pop you one, you know? Right there in the kisser. Pop, pop. What do you Pop, you know? That's, that's, that's me. But he goes really detailed. Stabbing and burning. Hmm. How did he pick those two? He picked those two because that's the feeling he's getting from that wicked mouth. That mouth is burning him with that tongue, piercing him with those lips. And that's what he's feeling. He goes, let me give it back. Let's give it back to this mouth. He's offering advice. Some of the greatest prayers in the Bible is when a saint offers advice to God on how to handle his enemies. I love how David, you know, bashed their teeth in, oh, Lord. You're like, oh, David was so immature. We should love our enemies. True, but it's, a, it's very therapeutic. Instead of t talking about it to our friends, instead of running our mouths off online, 
instead of gossiping, that's a really nice place to go and say, God, if you want to, I can't, but if you want to, bash their teeth in, oh, Lord. Is that biblical? David did it. Go for it. That's okay. And then you got to come back and get filled with the Spirit and say, give me love for him, Lord. Oh, love my enemies. Oh, God, I can't do it. Hey, he was giving advice. We could do that. That's a good thing. He wasn't putting it into action. He was saying, Lord, what do I want to do? Neat. It's honesty in our prayer. You know, you can't con God. You just can't. Oh, God, this is how spiritual I am in my prayer life. <laughs> Glory. No. Be honest. Lord, I want him dead. I want him to have pain. And you know what? It's when we get honest and we really confess what's in our heart towards others to the Lord. Not to other people, but to the Lord in prayer. It frees us up. Gets it off of our chest. It, it's like a vomiting. <laughs> like, oh, I feel so much, bleh, you know. This is all the hate in my heart towards this person, oh, Lord. Bleh. And it's just like, ah, oh, I feel so much better now. And God is like going, go for it. Go for it. I got gotcha. you. Throw it up. Go ahead. And that's what God does because he's our father. Do you know the weirdest thing is that God really catches our crud? I remember being at the shopping mart one day, and this baby is sitting there, and, and this the mom knew. I don't know how the mom knew. It was like some Jedi mind trick the mom had with the kid, and the kid was going to throw up. And the mom, I don't know, I was single at the time, like this like 15 years ago, and, and the mom, I'm in Ralph's, and I'm like, and this demon-possessed child just throws up. And the mom catches it. Boom. And I'm like, why would you do that? What in the world? I was like, you got some problems. And then when I had kids, I caught myself catching it too one day. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm like, hey, I did it. And I'm not chucking. I'm not having the gag reflex. I'm like, woo. And it's the love issue. And God's there with all of his love saying, I'll catch that. Confess it. State it. Get it off your chest. Pray. And so here he is, and he's saying, what should be done? Sharp arrows, burn the sucker. And he just, he just lays it out because he's feeling that way. And then he says, woe is me that I dwell in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Now, the word woe, woe is me. Such an English word. Woe is me. I am such a poor Englishman. Woe is me. But in the Hebrew, the word is oi. That's, now, that's a Jewish word, man. Oi, they. Oi. That's the word. Oi. And that's the word that's being used there. So when you see somebody in the Old Testament using the word woe, like woe unto him, oi unto him. And it's a word for pain. Now, the Greek one is this. Anytime in the Greek, in the New Testament, that you see the word woe, it's the word uahi. And it's pain. U-ah-e. It sounds like pain. U-ah-e. Uahi. And that's the word for woe in the Greek. Now, we're in the Hebrew, so we're in the Old Testament. Oi. 
And isn't that an English word also? Like, oi! Hey, Mike! You know, but anyway, but oi is pain. It's, it's heaviness. He goes, whoa, where oi is me. Because, why? I dwell in the tents of Meshach. Sorry, I dwell in Meshach and I, among the tents of Kedar. You're like, well, what's Meshach and Kedar? Meshach is Russia. It's to the north. Qadar is Saudi Arabia to the south, or the Bedouins. Both are not friends of Jews back in the day. They were not friends at all. Meshach, of course, is going to be one of the people that invade during Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38. So he's like going, woe is me, because I am in the north of me, hates me. The south of me, hates me. And that now there's the tightness. He is between a rock and a hard place. Meshach and Kedar. He is living in a place that doesn't like him due to his location. Have you ever been in a place where you are not welcome? Uh, it, it's a trip. It is a trippy feeling. I remember a, a friend of mine was in uh, Richmond, Virginia, and he was he is a white boy, and he is the most whitest boy you ever, almost albino, and he is walking through the 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 other side of the tracks, the, the black neighborhood in Richmond, Virginia. And he walks into a liquor store to buy, or a, a, a market to buy something, and he goes up, and the woman looked at him, an African-American woman, and said, we don't serve your kind here. Get out. And my friend goes, really? And she goes, boy, you better get out of here. You're in the wrong neighborhood. And he goes, this is how you feel. Wow. And she goes, what did you say? And he goes, oh, crud. And she gets on a baseball bat. And he gets in that car, and he takes off. I was like, man, Meshach and Kedar. That's how it is. Have you ever been in one of those places before? I have. Every time I go into my in-law's house. No, I'm just joking. No, I'm just joking. That, that's a great place. <laughs> that's so funny. They're great. I love them. So, guys, they are, <laughs> they are there, and it, it, the wrong location, They're, his location is causing him oi, pain, woe. Where are we at spiritually? See, our location spiritually will cause us great pain and tightness and cause us much pain. It will put us between a rock and a hard place if you're somewhere spiritually that you're not supposed to be. Well, I don't know what that means, Andrew. Yes, you do. We all do. Where are you at spiritually? Where, where, where is the last location on your web browser? That, that's a Kadar. But where was the last place your car was parked at? That's a Meshach, maybe. Be careful where you put yourself, spiritually speaking. And in verse 6, my soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. He says, my soul. The soul is the real individual. My soul, he has had enough. He just wants peace. He wants shalom. And there will never be a peace for the pilgrim within this wicked world. You know, the Bible says that we're all pilgrims, that we're going to a city that is not made with hands, that we're traveling 
in a world, this place, we're kind of like Abraham. We're not supposed, this is not my home. Like, yeah, it is. I love home. My home is Long Beach. I could go somewhere in the world. I could go on a missions trip. I could go out to uh, Israel, which I love to go to Israel. We're going, actually, when you guys land, we'll be in the airport taking off for our Israel trip. And, and it's just like, I love going to Israel, but when I go to Israel, I'm have, I have a great two weeks, but man, at, the, at that last day, I'm ready to come home. I remember going to Russia. I can't stand Russia. I, I, you're like, why not, Andrew? It's so cultural. It was depressing. Spending, the countries that have been trapped in communism for 50-some years, my goodness, yeah, it's going to be depressing. They, it, it was great fruit, the Lord moved, but man, I was ready to get home. I missed it. Another place I hate to go is Ikea. You know why? It reminds me of Russia. And it just like, <laughs> I hate Ikea. I will get depressed every time I have to go. I mean, I, I think I post, if you follow me on Facebook, I posted a video of how much I was walking to Ikea. And just, I just had to make a, a resistance video. And I was just like, oh. And, I, and, and when I go to Ikea, I'm just like ready to go home. You're going through the maze up in the upper thing, and you're going through that thing, you're like, I'm ready to go home. Kelly, my wife, Kelly, please, if you love me. And then, then as we go on another 15 minutes later, okay, I'm pulling the submission card. You must submit to me now. I am your husband. And that doesn't work either. And so he just had enough. I, I, I just, and he, he was done with it. And he was done with the pressure. He was done with the lying lips. He was done with the deceitful tongue. He was done with it. And we as pilgrims, I kind of get fed up with this world. This world bothers me. When I hear Louis Armstrong, because I love jazz, and when I hear Louis Armstrong sing, it's a wonderful world, I see skies are blue. Like, shut up. No. It's beautiful, okay, Grand Canyon's nice, but good grief, man, good gravy, it is not. It's wicked. You see it, it's there, don't you just, sometimes I crave streets of gold. I crave to see Jesus face to face, angel choirs and heavenly scenes. That's what I want someday. Oh, it's going to be a day, and he just wants to go be with the Lord. That he wants to go home. They want to shut me up. He goes, every time I speak of peace, they're for war. You ever notice that in evangelism? You go to the mall, you go witnessing, and you're talking about the peace of God, man. You are just throwing tracks out, making it rain with tracks, and you're just like, here we go. And you're passing them out, and you're just like, here you go, man. Jesus loves you. And then you get that look at people. It's like, you, Christian. I bet you voted for Trump. Like, what is that? I don't care. Jesus. And it's disgust. And they want to fight. And they're in your face. And it's only through the work of the Spirit that somebody will listen and have a dialogue with us. When we're, when we're for peace, they're for war. And he's like, what, do, what does he want? What does he want? He just wants God. He wants to go home. He wants to be with the Lord. And where is our pilgrim going? He's going up to Jerusalem. He's going to the house of God. He's leaving Kedar and Meshach in that Ikea-ish place. And he is leaving. 
and he is going up to be with the Lord. And in verse 1 of chapter 121, he says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? He lifts up his eyes. Lift up your eyes. When we dwell with Meshach, when we dwell with the junk of this world, the sin of this world, we have to lift our eyes up. Up off of ourselves, up off of our distress, up from sin and the wickedness that surround us. We need to lift up our eyes under the hills. There's hope in the hills. There's help in the hills. And who's coming from the, from the hills? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. See, who is coming on the hills? It's Jesus. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 8, says this about the beloved, which is a symbol or a representation of Jesus. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. Can you imagine Jesus skipping? Why, you know, people who skip are happy. You know, Anna and Jacob were at Sam's Club, and they love Sam's Club because it has samples. And so we're, they're running through Sam's Club, and they're skipping. And Anna goes, Daddy, and she's, she's nine now, and she goes, she goes, Dad, skip with us. I dare you. And I was like, let's do it. I, I, I heard something, and I'm like, I was like, my body can't skip yet. It, it can't do that anymore. I got to drop 50 before I do that, you know? I'm, I got, I'm, I'm on my diet. I just want to let you know I started today, kind of. And, uh, and I started skipping, and everything started moving. I'm like, oh! And then Jacob goes, can you skip, Daddy, or are you too fat? And I said, I said, you know what, Jacob? You're going to die. If you sit down, <laughs> like, come here, kid. No, I didn't say that to my son. I beat him, though. No, I'm just joking. No. I said, yeah, daddy's too fat. I got to lose weight. But I'm like, oh, man, that's skipping. You got to be happy. I remember the day I asked Kelly to marry me, and she said yes. I'm like, you! I, was, I felt like skipping. I couldn't because I was, I was on a stairwell really long. I was at the Lincoln Memorial, so I couldn't skip. I would die. Uh, but I was so, I was like, I was so happy. I felt like skipping. And here comes Jesus, skipping. He is running, Le uh, sorry, leaping. He's running with leaps and bounds, and he is skipping upon the mountains, and he's shouting, I'm coming. I'm coming for us, coming for you. That's how much Jesus loves you. You got him into a skipping mood. How great is that? That's how much he loves us. That's a man that loves his people. This is our God. And he's leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. So the, the psalmist says, I look into the hills. And that's who he's coming. He's like, where is he coming from? Who is this man upon the hills? Who is this Jesus guy? Who is our Lord? Who is our God? Look at Psalms 121, verse 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. My help. God, if you're taking notes, who is our God? He is a helper God. Psalms 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God helps us. Never forget that. 
God is always there to, to help in our situation. There's never a time where you're going to see God not helping us. You're like, well, he hasn't helped me. You have no clue how much he's already helped you. It's just in his nature. He can't help it. It's one of those things that he just can't help to do. <laughs> he has to do it. He wants to help us. Be there for us. Next it says, he, uh, he, uh, sorry, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Who made heaven and earth. He is a creator God. He is the creator. The Lord is the creator. He has made all things. I'll tell you, that is one fact that burns in my mind so often is that God made heavens and earth. He made it all. When you look at all the 15 stars in our night sky, you're blown away by how great God is. All 15 of them up there. And I heard that if you go out in the desert, you actually see more. I've never done that before. And I want to go, <laughs> it's, like, it's going to scare me uh, one day. I, I, but I, that, that creation, I remember going to the Grand Canyon and seeing the vastness, seeing the, the massive floodwaters that carved out that canyon after the flood. And I'm blown away by that seeing the different layers of sediment that was laid down by the flood, going, man, God did that. Going up to Sequoia, looking out there at those trees and the vastness of God's creation, it's amazing. And then looking at my own body, all, a lot of pounds of it, and going, wow, God made this. He, he, I had this little, I was putting together a bed for my daughter. She went to Ikea and found a bed. It was a, it was a desk-bed combo thing. And I got it. We had money from our taxes, so I said, let's get it. And we purchased it. And when I picked it up, it was 11 boxes. And that scared me. I, wanted, I just wanted to go home. I, and I went online. I said, who's the cat that can do this for me? And I guess there's a company that you could hire, kind of like Uber, to build for you. I found them, and I said, ah, oh, but I'm not going to be a man if I don't do it myself. And so I said, I'm going to do it. So it took me two days to do this bed. And I, when I was looking online, it's the, it's the bed that is, it's the, what is it, the fifth hardest thing to build in all of the Ikea kingdom. And I bought it. And I said, Kelly, come here. Look what your daughter chose. I was like, and she started laughing, and she texted my mom. She goes, guess what? gonna die. And I was like, oh, it took me two days. And I'm sitting there with this drill, drilling it in. And I'm, I'm just, I'm saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to praise you through every step of this. I'm going to turn, I'm going to praise you. And it was the hardest thing. And I remember going, and it slipped. And it went through my fingernail. And I'm like, Whoa! I'm like, Whoa! and my daughter goes, did you cut yourself? Did you cut yourself? Because she has a little microscope that she's been waiting for blood so she could look. She goes, let me see, let me see. And this blood is gushing out of my fingernail, and it's still black. That was like five months ago. And it's still there, and it's slowly coming out. And it's my Ikea reminder. And, um, and but we, so she said, let me see the blood, Dad. Let me see the blood. And she pulls out a little slide from her microscope. She scoops it puts it on there, and she goes, and she's looking, she goes, they're moving. 
blood's moving. Come look. And I looked, and there's my blood going. You know? And I sounded like going to jiggling with hate. Just, and I'm like, wow. And it was amazing. And I'm watching this thing just grow back, moving up. I'm like, this is God. He made my fingernail. He made the ability to, for healing in the body. He is the creator. He did all that. It wasn't a process of evolution that took millions and millions of years through countless accidents. No, no, no. It was a design. And so God can make all this, and he did. What is my problem? It's nothing. He's the creator God. It puts all things into perspective. We have no worries. We literally have no worries, ladies and gentlemen. He is the creator. Verse 3 through 4, we're almost halfway through. He will not allow your foot to be moved, the psalmist says. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will, shall neither slumber nor sleep. First of all, he will not allow your foot to be moved. He's a stabilizing God. He is a foundation, a rock, a cornerstone. Matthew chapter 7 says that this occurs only when we have obedience. Only through obedience will Jesus be our rock and our foundation. It's when we obey his commands. And that's the point. So are you obeying? Well, guess who God is? He is a stabilizing God. He will not allow your foot to be moved. I think I love this. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. He's an alert God. Slumber means take a nap. Sleep means that you're out like a light. I like that. He's not going to do either one. Now, after church at Calvary Chapel, Long Beach, I go home after lunch, and I sit down, and if someone were to call my cell phone, you might catch me slumbering. Probably will. Turn the ball game on and I'm, you know. And you might catch me sleeping where I'll be totally out. Have You guys got that part down, right? I love slumbering. I love sleeping. It's so glorious. It's so nice. Oh, I'm taking a nap. And how great is that? But listen, you will never get that with God. I love when I call somebody and go, hi, how you doing? They're like, hello, hey, how you doing, pastor? I'm like, hey, were you sleeping? No, no, you liar. You were. I got you, I got you sleeping. You were slumbering. Like, yeah, I was sleeping. I'm sorry. I'll call back later. But you know what? While you're up, I want to just talk to you. And, and that's the thing. You won't catch God doing, you know, oh, dear Lord, dear Lord. Dear Lord, oh, 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 is that China? Okay, China. Saints in China, what do you want? Oh, I was up late with the Holy Spirit. You know, you'll never do that. That will never happen. You'll never catch him napping. You'll never catch him sleeping. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. He's always caring, always watching. Always loving. He has his eyes on you. Pastor Chuck used to tell a story of his granddaughter coming over to him, and she was worried after Sunday school, and 
she was kind of a precocious kid, and Pastor Chuck goes, what's, what's wrong, honey? And she goes, the teacher says that God has his eye on me. And I'm like, oh, you know, and Pastor Chuck goes, well, he does because he loves you so much. And she goes, oh, okay. And that's the truth. God has his eye on you. He's not going to sleep and slumber because he loves you so stinking much. How great is that? And then finally, he is a keeper God. Look at verse 5 through 8. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The word that's used for keeper, and it's been used a lot here in verse uh, 3, 4, uh, 5, um, 7, and 8, is keeper. And then it turns into the word preserve. The same word for keeper is the same word for preserve in the Hebrew, which is the word shamar. Shamar means to hedge about, to make a hedge around. And God is a shamar God. He hedges about you. It's a it's a really a shepherd's term. When you would bring the sheep in, you would build for them a shamar, a, a keep, a sheepfold. And it says that uh, they would dig rocks, and they would stack rocks up, probably about chest high. And then on top of that, they would put bushes on top of that. And in these bushes, they would insert branches of thorns, kind of like an ancient barbed wire so that nothing would come in and nothing would go out. It was a shamar. You would be kept, and the sheep would come into the door, and then the shepherd himself would become the door to the sheepfold. And he would sit at the door, and he would go to sleep, and nothing would come in. And if you tried to come in, you were a thief and a robber. And so that's what it was. And he says, you are kept. You are kept. He says it all a whole bunch of times, that God is a keeper God. He keeps you. He hedges about you with stones, bushes, and thorns. What's the bush? In Bible, you have symbol, uh, symbolisms in the Bible. Stones are always, stones are always a symbol of the person of Jesus Christ. The stone which the builders rejected. Obedience in the sayings of Jesus will be like a man who builds his house upon the rock. Jesus is the rock. God is the rock. And so he hedges us about. He keeps us by him. He does it. We abide in the rock. We abide in the vine. We abide in him. He is the stone, and we are hedged about by him. And then what's the bushes? In the scriptures, when you see the word bush, it's synonymous with the word of God. That the presence of God indwelt a bush and spoke through a bush to Moses. And so we're kept by his word. And then lastly, the thorns. Oh, that is the cross. It takes us right to that thorny crown. So we are hedged about by the word, the cross, and the person of Jesus Christ. And it's neat that Jesus as our shepherd actually becomes the door. He's the final stone in the wall. Jesus is. He keeps us, and he keeps our soul. 
He keeps us from physical things, the sins of this world, if you want to be kept. It's your choice whether you want to be kept in his hands or not. And I love this phrase. It says, the moon shall not strike you, or sorry, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. I love that. God keeps you so good that the sun won't strike you, but he's your shade at your right hand, and he won't even let you get moon burned. I love that. I'm a very fair-skinned person. In fact, this morning I went to the dermatologist to get zapped. I hate it. He looks at my bald head and he goes, oh, oh, Dr. Castro. I call him the butcher. And he gets this little canister of Friso, and he freezes these little spots off my face. And it hurts so bad. And Mr. Castro, Dr. Castro is like, oh, right, and he goes, now, what did we learn today, Pastor Andrew? Wear a hat. Always wear a hat. That's right. So we don't have to go through this again. Thank God. He's my keeper. He's my shelter. He will cover us. The sun will not strike us. He keeps us through the sun, the trials, and even the moon and night. You're like, well, what's the cover? There's a cover over us. This, this kept light, there's a cover. Well, it tells us in Song of Solomon. His banner over me is love. He covers us with love. It's like we're, we're, we're shamarred in. And then he cover, it's like heavenly Tupperware. Just, and we're just kept. But this is the thing. You don't have to be kept if you don't want to be kept. You can bust out anytime you want. It's called free choice. You can bust out. You can leave. You can crawl over the... But man, I'll tell you, when we abide in Christ, my dad passed away last September, Pastor Roger, the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Long Beach. My dad, I was his assistant. And so he passed away in September, and I, uh, it was horrible. And uh, he was, his heart just gave out. It was his... He was going, it was his going home day. And uh, I got the call. I ran over to Hogue. I ran into the emergency room, and, he, and they're working on him. And the doctor said, you need to go in the other room. I said, nope. I said, my dad was there when I got stitches. My dad, was, my dad was there for me when I went through horrible times. Many a principal's office. I will be in the hallway when he comes out of this. Boy, they went to town. He said, you might see some things that you don't like. I said, that's okay. Go for it. My mom was over here with her hands on her eyes, and I'm watching, praying, speaking in tongues out loud. I did not care. Praying in a language I did not know, and only to God, talking to him about help my dad. And it was time. I got a, I got a text message from Don McClure, the head of CCN. He goes, what's going on, Andrew? I said, dad's dying. And I've never been so scared in my life. And he goes, Andrew, you're in nail-scarred hands. I'll never forget that. I'm in nail-scarred hands. You have nothing to fear. I was like, perfect. I need this. And when they came out to tell me that he was gone, I felt those nail-scarred hands take my heart take my life, and said, you're going to be okay. See, that's where we're at. 
We're in the Lord's hands, hedged about by him, hedged about by his word and covered by his love. That's our God. He's a keeper God. He's going to take care of us. So if you feel yourself a little Meshekish, a little Kadarish, a little tight, a little freaked out by the things of this world, no fear. How great is our God? How great is he that he's got us covered? He's got us wrapped up. He'll take us through it. Just abide in him. Stay in the word. Stay at the cross. Walk in the spirit. Yeah, you'll fail. We'll mess up. But we're always, always, God is ready to forgive, clean up. We're in his hands. He loves us. That's who my God is. I just wanted to brag a little bit today on my Lord. He's great, ain't he? What a great God. I am so undeserving. You guys probably are deserving. I'm not. Guys, the Lord is good. He's got, he's got you. He's got you. What, what is freaking you out right now? Is there fear in your heart? Stop it. Good, well, that's easy to say for you. No, no, no. It's the Lord. You know, we should not have fear. Where does fear come from? Satan. So when you have fear, who is that? Satan. It's that sharp tongue. Those lying lips. Stop it. Reject it. It's like, that's Satan. I'm freaking out, Lord. Well, who's that from? That's Satan. Don't listen. No, but it's legitimate fear. No, I know. It's legit, but you have a legitimate God. He's awesome. He's great. He's going to take care of you. You're in nail-scarred hands. What are you worried about? You know, worries from the enemy just as much as fear is. Are you worried? I'm worried about finances. Stop it. The Lord's going to see you through it. I'm worried about health. Stop it. You, gotta, you have a God who's going to take you through it. But what if I die? You get a new body. It's a win-win. It's all good. You're good. You have nothing to fear, nothing to worry about. I'm depressed. That's from the enemy too. He wants to discourage you. Stop it. Your nail-scarred hands. Look to the Lord. Enjoy Jesus. Be filled with the Spirit. Gosh, man. I just need more Jesus. That's all I need. All I want. I'm going to be good. Man, the Lord loves me. Amen?